Leviticus chapter 9, verse 1. Holy fire and unholy men. Let's just dive in here. The first six verses of this chapter I, I titled Commandment and Promise. Commandment and Promise. Let's see how this unfolds. On the eighth day, so seven days of sacrificing by the priests. They can't leave the temple court. They've been uh, sacrificing in the tabernacle area. And now the eighth day has come. On the eighth day, Moses called Aaron and his sons and the elders of Israel. And he said to Aaron, take for yourself a bull calf for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering, both without blemish, and offer them before the Lord. And say to the people of Israel, take a male goat for a sin offering and a calf and a lamb, both a year old without blemish for a burnt offering and an ox and a ram for a peace offering to sacrifice before the Lord and a grain offering mixed with oil. Listen to the promise now. For today, the Lord will appear to you. Whoa. Consider this. This is the eighth day. These things you are to do. And when you do these things, God himself will appear to you. He will manifest his glory in your view. And they brought what Moses commanded in front of the tent of meeting. And all the congregation of Israel drew near and stood before the Lord. And Moses said, this is the thing that the Lord commanded you to do, that the glory of the Lord may appear to you. Command and a promise. All these sacrifices are to be brought before the Lord. So let's consider this. It's really the culmination of the ordination process. So the priesthood is now finished with their consecration work, and it's kind of the grand finale, the eighth-day ceremony of uh, the initiation of the priesthood, but it's also the inauguration day, uh, the beginning starting point of daily sacrifices. So from this point forward, day after day after day, sacrifices are to be brought, and they're ready now. They're consecrated. We're going to start this thing, and it starts on this day. Seven uh, sacrificial animals are to be brought. Seven, the Lord's number, the number of perfection, of fullness, a bull calf, sin offering for the priests, a ram, also burnt offering for the priests. So the first two sacrifices spe specified for the priests. And then all these other sacrifices. Think about the amount of blood that is to be shed for this seven sacrificial animal sacrifice that is to be brought. In addition to this is the grain offering with the mixed oil and set upon the altar. We're talking a whole lot of stuff piled up on the altar before the Lord. This is to be done. Now, let's see how this unfolds. And uh, I'm going to let the ESV audio Bible read for us these uh, verses, gracious acceptance and overwhelming glory is what I would call this section. Let's go ahead and do that now. Then Moses said to Aaron, draw near to the altar and offer your sin offering and your burnt offering and make atonement for yourself and for the people and bring the offering of the people and make atonement for them as the Lord has commanded. So Aaron drew near to the altar and killed the calf of the sin offering, which was for himself. And the sons of Aaron presented the blood to him, and he dipped his finger in the blood and put it on the horns of the altar and poured out the blood at the base of the altar. But the fat and the kidneys and the long lobe of the liver from the sin offering he burned on the altar as the Lord commanded Moses. 
the flesh and the skin he burned up with fire outside the camp. Then he killed the burnt offering, and Aaron's sons handed him the blood, and he threw it against the sides of the altar. And they handed the burnt offering to him piece by piece, and the head, and he burned them on the altar. And he washed the entrails and the legs, and burned them with the burnt offering on the altar. Then he presented the people's offering, and took the goat of the sin offering that was for the people, and killed it, and offered it as a sin offering like the first one. And he presented the burnt offering, and offered it according to the rule. And he presented the grain offering, took a handful of it, and burned it on the altar besides the burnt offering of the morning. Then he killed the ox and the ram, the sacrifice of peace offerings for the people. And Aaron's sons handed him the blood, and he threw it against the sides of the altar. But the fat pieces of the ox and of the ram, the fat tail and that which covers the entrails, and the kidneys and the long lobe of the liver, they put the fat pieces on the breasts, and he burned the fat pieces on the altar. But the breasts and the right thigh Aaron waved for a wave offering before the Lord, as Moses commanded. Okay. So I was thinking we could be creative this year for our ornament making. Since we're all together in the book of Leviticus, maybe we could work on the long lobe of the liver for an ornament, just to remind us, you know, put the year on it, and that has shown up again and again, hasn't it? The long lobe of the liver. This is a lot of sacrificing. There's a lot of animals who meet their end here. A lot of animals without blemish here. A lot of blood spilled. All the steps. Now, here's an important piece to note. Note that last line. They did exactly as the Lord had commanded Moses. This is, this is according to his very specific commandments. Very detailed instruction and detailed obedience. Now, this is important to note because this is one of those things that uh, is going to have a point of contrast for us in chapter 10. When God commands his worship to be conducted by his people, he gives them very specific instructions about how to do it and how not to do it, right? They are to obey those. He takes it very seriously how we come before him. We come only by the blood of the sacrifice. And for us, we come only by the blood of the perfect sacrifice for which all these sacrifices anticipated, the blood of Jesus Christ. It matters how we come. So let's see how this unfolds. Then Aaron lifted up his hands toward the people and he blessed them. This is the ironic high priestly blessing that he gives. And he came down from offering the sin offering and the burnt offering and the peace offerings. And then Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting. Now, this is a big moment. Moses, up until this point, has been the chief mediator between God and Israel. That handoff is now taking place. He is uh, giving this mediatorial handoff to Aaron. From this point forward, Aaron is going to be the guy who mediates the covenant of of, of of forgiveness and atonement between God and the people. And they come out now of the tent of meeting and they bless the people. And look at what happened. The glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. Something spectacular takes place. Fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the pieces of fat on the altar And when all the people saw it, 
They shouted, first and foremost, they shouted, and then they fell on their faces. Wow. Now, this would have been a day to remember. Think of this. You have this, this celebration of ordination. The high priest is now blessing the people. And as he is blessing the people, standing next to Moses, the deliverer, right? God shows up in glory. How? In fire. It's during the day. So the pillar of cloud is over the tabernacle. And either out of the cloud or out of the tent comes forth this consuming fire and it lands on the altar now to be clear the fire has been burning it's been they've been offering sacrifices for seven days straight this is the eighth day the fires to, to to be kept burning yet on this altar is this massive pile of sacrifice so while it's been burning it's not been consumed it's still there sizzling away god comes with his holy fire and consumes it in an instant and all the people see that. And they shout for joy, I believe, in awe. And then they fall on their faces before him. Hmm. It's a fitting response, isn't it? The glory of God beheld by the people. Think of all the things they've seen. They, they are firsthand witnesses to the, the plagues that God crushed egypt with they, they were the people whose feet walked on dry land as they were going between the waters that he had parted right grabbing fish along the way you know reach in get a fish i always thought that would be fun maybe a net you're, you're coming through on dry land they were there they're, they're the people who are fed miraculously every morning by god the people who he bombed with quail right because they wanted meat to eat they see the glory of God in the fire that consumes this sacrifice and they fall on their faces. Does that remind you of others who have had the same response when beholding the glory of God? Think of Isaiah. Woe is me. Who am I? I'm a man of unclean lips and I have beheld the glory. He is on his face before the Lord. The Apostle John, same thing. One of the things that happens for us, sinners, when we behold the radiant splendor of God in His holiness, is we are in awe and we are very quickly aware of our sinfulness. He is worthy, I am not. Worship on your face. If God were to do that in this place today, in this room, all of us, guaranteed, would find ourselves with our noses pressed into the carpet in worship of a God so holy. Worship of a people so unholy. It is good for us to be aware of both of these things, friends. Regularly. To be reminded, He is holy, holy, holy. I am not. I am not. How do I worship Him? Only by the blood. It is only by the blood that I could ever worship a God like this or be in His presence. And so the gratitude, the shout of joy, this is a confirmation indeed that 
Aaron and the priests have been accepted by God. This, this fire that consumes these sacrifices would have been overjoyed. Worship. Look, the Lord has accepted our sacrifice. Aaron is accepted. The priests are accepted. They have gone through a full week of consecration and the Lord has given His approval. More than that, not, not disconnected from it at all, is the acceptance of the sacrifices of the people. Right? The congregation, the, the Israel, they've brought seven of these sacrifices along with the, the grain offering, the peace offerings to celebrate that. It would have been reverent and joy-filled worship. I, I think we want these together. These, these realities have to stay together in our minds. Reverent, respect-filled joy. Sometimes we can separate these and, and we just come skipping into God's presence and, and you know, hey, what's up? No, it's not like that. We can come boldly, yes, but we are to come reverently before Him, in awe of Him, with great regard for His holiness, aware of our sinfulness, and by grace, the invitation to come through Jesus. What an amazing thing, friends, we have in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It would have been a day to remember. One of the greatest days in the nation of Israel's history was this day, a special day. I wish I could say it was just the end of the story right here. I wish I could just say that was it, and then and they all lived happily ever after. But sadly, there's chapter 10. The day is not over. Let's go to chapter 10 and consider how this happens. Unauthorized fire. I, this, this contrast is important to see. I, I just think sometimes of big moments for God's people. For instance, Noah, right, comes off the ark. God delivered them through the wood of the ark, brings them in in, in his salvation. He comes out, he sacrifices in gratitude to the Lord, the rainbow is hung. His promise, I will never again destroy the earth by water. And they celebrate God's grace and his goodness. And then Noah plants a vineyard and gets drunk and lays out naked. What are you doing, man? What, what happened there? And we're reminded, Noah is a sinner. Noah is in need. Noah is saved by grace, just like every single sinner on the face of this earth. Great successes. Even the prophet Elijah, right? All of the victory that he celebrates. And then literally the next moment, he is in despair, sitting at the base of the tree, basically saying, Lord, kill me quickly. Despairing. How easy it is for even in our own lives to have victories followed by massive defeat and failure. So friends, be on guard. When God works powerfully in your life, there is a counterattack waiting. The world, the flesh, the devil will seek to steal it away and snatch it up. So too on this day, there were some priests who brought unauthorized fire. Chapter 10, verse 1. Let's read this. Now, Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered 
unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them. And they died before the Lord. You're like, oh, wait, what? Just the next verse. That happened. We go from the high point of praise and worship. The whole congregation is celebrating and they're on their faces. They see the radiant splendor of God. He's consumed and accepted their sacrifices. And the very next moment, it feels like, what are we doing? Guys, what did you do? Aaron's two oldest sons. They just decided, you know what? Let's do our thing, right? We're consecrated. Kind of set apart here. Let's innovate. Let, 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 let's just come up with our own thing. So they take their censers and put some fire in it and, and, and put an incense on it, and then they go offer it to the Lord. Well, the problem is, is they, they do things that he had not commanded them to do. And immediately we come into this dynamic like, okay, worship is a big deal. But there are things that God prescribes for his worship and things that are not okay to do and call worship obedience not rebellion we're just struck by the significance of this the fire was unauthorized because it was not commanded they they went beyond what god had commanded it was strange fire unacceptable fire it was disobedient behavior rebellious they they just kind of sauntered in to do whatever they wanted well that's not how it works with god not in the worship that he prescribes. Hmm. John MacArthur says it this way. Think about our own context here as we gather today. The highest duty and privilege, the most essential behavior, and the supreme responsibility for humanity is to worship God. The most serious activity anyone will ever engage in is worship of God. You ever thought of it that way? You know, it's easy after you come for a while and you know, if you're like me, you grew, you grew up in church. God saved me when I was just a young guy, five years old. And my dad's been a preacher my whole life. And so every Sunday, this is, this is my home. This is, this, these are my people. This is what we do, right? It's so easy to just lose sight of how significant what we are doing is at this moment. Worship is serious. I, I would call it, as, as some have referred to it, it is serious joy. It is a somber celebration, right? We are forgiven. We have been granted access through Jesus Christ. We have a Father. So come, yes, reverently, in the fear of the Lord, respectfully, aware his holiness. Will it be reverent, joyful, obedient worship of God or what seems to be popular in some places and even some churches? Superficial, flippant, glib, fake, self-focused, man-pleasing. Put on a show. I googled some stuff that blew my mind this week. I, I saw a church in Florida that had 
a dance crew dressed like stormtroopers, dancing to Michael Jackson music, doing moves that were completely inappropriate anywhere. They were doing this in church. Church. They could have been struck with fire and dropped dead where they stood. It was God's mercy alone that prevented that. It's a serious deal. You don't play games when it comes to worship of God. Saw a preacher fly in on cables over his congregation. You talk about awkward. That was awkward. In churches, even today, all over this place, there are things that are done that are attributed to the Holy Spirit. And I think they're demonic. It's lunacy. There are churches that are gathering together to make noises like barking like dogs and mooing like cows and calling that acceptable worship to the Lord. What is that? That's strange fire. That's unauthorized. It's unacceptable. It's offensive to God. We don't have the right to innovate in our coming before Him. To just make it up as we go. Hey, you know, do whatever you want. God will be pleased. Even in the church of Ephesus, as we're moving through the Ephesians, so much of the pagan worship was done in, in horrible sexual acts and terrible things, de just debased and de depraved uh, practices. And the call of Paul to the Ephesians is, come out from that and be light. What fellowship was, does, does light have with darkness? None. So when we gather to worship God, He is the focus of our worship. We come reverently aware. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't want to overstate this. It is joy. We come to celebrate the gospel. Where I'm not talking about being stoic and, and you know, uptight and, oh, I can't smile because I don't want to be irreverent. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about locking eyes with the God who is and showing him the respect that he deserves. Being in awe of his glory. Not seeking to steal it for yourself. This carries a special weight for those who take this stage. Our worship team feels this. It carries an extra special weight for the guy who stands in this pulpit. Those who are called to responsible leadership positions in the church. Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord has said. Among those who are near to me, I will be sanctified. And before all the people, I will be glorified. There's a line to underline in your Bible. It says Aaron held his peace. He was speechless. This new high priest has just witnessed his first two sons drop dead before God for their flippant disobedience and disregard for the holiness of God. Moses called Mishael and Elzaphon 
the sons of Uziel, the uncle of Aaron, and said, Come near and carry your brothers away from the front of the sanctuary and out of the camp. So they came near. Listen to the, to the detail here. They came near and carried them in their coats. Okay, the, the, these dead brothers, priests, they're in their coats, and they carried them in their coats out of the camp, as Moses has said. What, what does this tell us? There's a different kind of fire that took place on the altar that consumed and ate up all of these offerings from the fire that befell these disobedient priests. I'm pretty convinced it was more like this. Right? They are there. They are joking around. They are disobeying God, playing light with His commandments, and He drops them dead with a bolt of lightning. Their clothes remain, and they're dead. That can happen. I mean, this is the same God we worship, friends. I don't, I, don't, I don't mean to scare you, but I do. He's not playing games with worship. Who's to say he can't drop a bolt of lightning or stop your heart if he so chooses? Now, let's separate what we're talking. We're not talking about wrath. The wrath is placed upon the sacrifice. That, that, if you're a Christian, that's what Jesus has absorbed. All of it so. He has taken that all. You don't face wrath as a believer ever from God. But you can face discipline. God will defend his glory. Paul says that there are some who have taken of the Lord's Supper irreverently. And some have gotten sick by the hand of God. And some have even died. This New Testament church times. That's, that's our season. God doesn't play games when it comes to the way we worship. And it has a lot to do with right here. Our hearts. Hmm. Disobey and dishonor God. And there are multiple examples in your Bible of instant death. Boom. Gone. Think of Uzzah. They were moving the Ark of the Covenant. And it, it like the way that God had not prescribed. They had it on a cart and it started to tip over. And, and right, he reached out to keep it from the beautiful ark from going into the dirt. And he touches the ark and he dies instantly because he thought that his hand was cleaner than the dirt. Wrong. He's a sinner. God would have much rather seen that ark fall into the dirt than for that sinner to reach out and stabilize it. He killed him. Or Ananias and Sapphira, who lied to the Holy Spirit in church. They come in, oh, we sold all this. Here's all the proceeds. That's a lie. First, Ananias is dropped dead. As they're carrying his body out, his wife comes in. She lies. She drops dead, and they carry her out in church. Herod Agrippa was worshipped. He stole the glory that was God's alone, and God dropped him dead where he stood. My father-in-law was telling me a story of a group of elders that came into a church and caused all kinds of problems for the pastor of the church and disobeyed the Lord, dishonored God, caused the church to just run into a train wreck. And he said within two years, all those elders were dead. 
various things. God is just. We don't play games when we come and worship Him. We come in reverence and awe. We come obediently. We come with respect and regard. We are not given to innovation. We are given to celebrate His grace with joy, reverently so. Among those who are near me, I will be esteemed, viewed, respected as holy, set apart, pure, unlike anyone else. And before all the people, I will be glorified. Not, I want to be. This is not a wishful thought of God. It is certain. This is how it goes. If you don't, you might die. Whoa, nice light sermon today. We need this, don't we? I mean, don't you? I feel this. We need this reminder how easy it is for us to just come to church and skip on in, take our seat, and then, wait, what, what are we doing? Hold on. This is God. The God who is. Moses said to Aaron and Eleazar and Ithamar, his sons, do not let the hair of your heads hang loose. Do not tear your clothes lest you die and wrath come upon all the congregation. But let your brothers, the whole house of Israel, bewail the burning that the Lord has kindled. There we go. This wasn't some freak accident. This was the work of God, the hand of God. Do not go inside, uh, do not go outside the tent of entrance, uh, the entrance of the tent of meeting, lest you die. For the anointing oil of the Lord is upon you. And trust me, they did according to the word of Moses. He has their attention, doesn't he? This is an interesting thing. In this day, cultural expectation was. And when you're grieving and you've lost a loved one, you mourn and you would put ashes on your head and you let your hair hang down. You would tear your garments, right? The priests, however, they're, they're under the oil. They have been consecrated. It is not for them to do this. Even though Aaron has lost his first two sons and his other two sons have lost their brothers. This is consistent. Later in the book of Leviticus, we see this of the priesthood. Leviticus 21, 10 to 12. The priest who is the highest among his brothers, whose head, on whose head the anointing oil has been poured, who has been consecrated to wear the garments, shall not uncover his head nor his clothes, uh, nor shall he approach any dead person, uh, nor defile himself for even his father or his mother. Nor shall he go out of the sanctuary, nor profane the sanctuary of his God, for the consecration of the anointing oil is on him. I am the Lord. It's a command. You can't get near these dead bodies, and they would be unclean. You can't do that. You are, you are set apart, consecrated to the holy work that God has given. And so Aaron is not given the expression of grief in this time. I think part of that is his agreement that what God has done was just. 
was right. The Lord spoke to Aaron saying, drink no wine. Now just pause here and consider, this is the only time in the book of Leviticus where God addresses Aaron directly. He's coming now directly to Aaron and he says, drink no wine or strong drink. You or your sons with you when you go into the tent of meeting, lest you die. It shall be a statute forever throughout all your generations. You are, to be dis- you are to distinguish between the holy and the common, between the unclean and the clean. You are to teach the people of Israel all the statutes that the Lord has spoken to them by Moses. So there's instruction here. There's more work to be done. An important thing to consider. The priests are to be in their right mind, sharp, dialed in. This is a big deal. Be careful. Be aware. Be reverent and respectful. It doesn't mean that the priests could never drink. It means that when they were on duty, when they were serving in the tabernacle or the temple later on, they were to be sharp, not in any way intoxicated. Some have even suggested that maybe the oldest two boys were intoxicated, and that's why they did such foolish things in the tabernacle. I don't think there's enough there in the text to discern that or or to draw that conclusion, but in any case, God gives this restriction And it is on the priest to equip the people to obey and practice the commandments and to distinguish between the common and the holy. Direct and solemn words that would have been pretty listened to, right? I mean, at this point, just watched two people struck dead by God. Now, holy fear, uh, chapter 10, verses 12 through 20. Let's see how this unfolds. Moses spoke to Aaron and Eleazar and Ithamar, his surviving sons. He said, take the grain of the offering that is left, uh, uh, that is left of the Lord's food offerings and eat it unleavened beside the altar, for it is most holy. You shall eat it in a holy place because it is your due and your sons due from the Lord's food offerings, for so I commanded. But the breast that is waved and the thigh that is contributed, you shall eat in a clean place, you, your sons, and your daughters with you. For they are given as your due and your sons due from the sacrifices of the peace offerings of the people of Israel. The thigh that is contributed and the breast that is waved, they shall bring with the food offerings of the fat pieces to wave for a wave offering before the Lord. And it shall be yours and your sons with you as a due forever, as the Lord has commanded. Now, at this point, Moses begins to kind of inquire. You guys doing this? Did you finish this work? He diligently inquired about the goat of the sin offering. And behold, it was burned up. We got a problem. We got two disobedient sons. They're dead and they're outside the camp. Buried. We've got two other sons, and at this point, it seems like they've disobeyed as well. What is going on? Moses is furious. He was angry with Eleazar and Ithamar, the surviving sons of Aaron. Why have you not eaten of the sin offering in the place of the sanctuary, since it is a thing most holy and has been given to you that you may bear the iniquity of the congregation to make atonement for them before the Lord? Behold, its blood was not brought into the inner part of the sanctuary. If it had been, then they couldn't eat it. They would have 
had to burn it. But it wasn't brought into the inner part of the sanctuary. So he says, you certainly ought to have eaten it in the sanctuary as I commanded. Now, just a few thoughts. This is hard to figure out as you read it, let alone to process all of this and know that death is on the line. Like, don't disobey. However, there's more to the story here we find out as we continue to read. Is this rebellion? That's the question we have to be asking right now. Is this what this was when those first two sons were struck dead? What are these two sons thinking? Why would they not eat what God commanded them to eat? Let's read on. And Aaron said to Moses, Behold, so Aaron, the high priest, is speaking. Behold, today they have offered their sin offering and their burnt offering before the Lord, yet such things as those have happened to me. If I had eaten of the sin offering today, would the Lord have approved? That's a valid question. And when Moses heard these words from Aaron, he approved of this decision. He understood what was going on. So the two sons were instructed by Aaron, their father, not to eat of the ram, of the sin offering by the people, even though it was their portion and they were commanded to eat it because of the disobedience that had happened within the family already that day. Aaron felt that this was an act of esteeming God's holiness, not breaking it or rebelling against it. So the, the, the main difference really is the heart, the motive. This was carefulness, not carelessness, like the first two sons. Their desire was to regard God as holy, to not in any way infringe upon his holiness, to not, to not trespass against anything that would offend God because of what they had just witnessed within their family. And so Moses says, okay, okay. <laughs> the only place that Aaron speaks and corrects Moses ever that I can think of. And in this scenario, God accepts this because it was done in regard and in, in, in esteeming his holiness. So, good shepherd, how do we apply these verses to our lives today? I think there's some things that we can land in our hearts and just take with us throughout this week that will be helpful. This sentence, for example, among those who are near me, that's you, that's me. It's all of us. We're, we're, we're a kingdom of priests, especially those in leadership, men, elders, leaders. But all of us, among those who are near me, I will be sanctified. I will be viewed, esteemed, regarded, revered as holy and completely other, set apart from all else. And before all the people, I will be glorified. It is easy in churches for the glory that belongs to God to be set and given or even stolen by people who take the stage. God is incredibly jealous for his own glory. He will not share it with anybody. And that's a good thing because he's worthy. If he were quick to just share it, then it would disprove his own worth. He is infinitely precious, and therefore his glory is a big deal to him. 
And it's a huge deal to us. Should be. No celebrity pastor has any right to take the glory that is God's alone. No proclaimer of God's word should ever be placed on a pedestal. No worship leader should ever stand on the stage in any sense of the way and say, praise me, as we sing these words that are supposed to be about the praise of God, right? That, that has no place in our hearts, in our worship. In your life, Christian, the gifts God has given you are for whose glory? His glory. He has given gifts, good, beautiful, divinely empowered gifts for His glory. For His glory. The God of all glory and the respect that He deserves. I think sometimes the benefit here is just to pause. Just, just don't be too familiar. Don't be too casual here about what we do. We're coming into His presence. And not because we deserve it. We're coming in by grace alone through the finished work of Christ. I think of the words of Isaiah the prophet. God says through Isaiah, this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit. The one who trembles at my word. Christian, do you tremble at the word of God? Do you tremble? Sometimes we have a hard time wrestling through this concept of the fear of the Lord. What does that mean? I don't hear it really sung about much on the radio. Like, the fear of the Lord. I hear a lot about, hey, I can come. Like, it's all good. I'm forgiven in Christ. Yes, that's all true. But I come trembling at His word. I like John Piper's quote about the fear of the Lord. He says, the fear of the Lord is the smell of smoke in your nostrils as you stand safe because of the finished work of Christ and gaze upon the fires of hell. And you say, that should be me. That should be me. It's only by His grace that I am safe and secure. But I, I smell the smoke. That should be my, my place. But here I am. The fear of the Lord is, is, is the, the eye of the storm where you find your safe harbor in Christ and your anchor is secure. You dwell secure, but you know the God of the storm rages all around you. Fear Him. Fear Him. It is fear of God that would lead us to make bold requests. Right? Think we can come before Him confidently, reverently, and say, Oh Lord, we cannot, but you can. You can't, you are able to do what we cannot do. So we look to you. We never command you. We, we seek your will. Your will be done here. We ask, O oh Lord, if it glorify you, show us your glory. Show up in power. That's the fear of the Lord, friends. So this week, may that be our experience as we delight in our great God, as we celebrate joyfully 
the good news of the gospel. When we sing his praise, let's make it about him, right? Let's make it about him. We do not come to church to be entertained. That is not our goal. It's not, that's not our thing here. Maybe some churches do that. That's not our thing. We come to church to make much of God. That's our goal. In all that we do, that's our desire. To esteem Him as holy and glorious. When you go through the week and you sing, do the same. When you come before Him in prayer, just pause maybe this week and say, okay, I'm about to go into the presence of the sovereign God of all of creation. The God who flings out galaxies with his fingers, who speaks and there is. I'm about to talk to him. <laughs> what a privilege. Go in with care and regard and respect. When you read his word, think of what a delight it is to hear from God. Think of how precious His Word is. Friends, we can open His Word and hear from Him and for believers at this very same time have His Spirit minister that Word to our soul and renew our minds. When you hear His Word proclaimed, regard Him, revere Him, respect Him, obey Him. That is the best way for us to worship Him. Not just today when we gather, but every day this week. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we do so now. We, we can come. Oh, what an amazing thing it is to consider. that we, we, we can come to you not just as the God of all of creation, but as our Father. We come as sons and daughters. We come, we come boldly into your presence only by the blood of Jesus Christ. Oh God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for showing this grace and mercy to us. We don't deserve it. We are a people of unclean lips. We, we dwell in a dark and sinful land. Oh Father, thank you for saving us. We pray that you would Grow in our hearts and our minds to be more glorious. Help us to pull back from any glib or flippant or superficial worship. Oh, Father, we confess that to you. We lay it down. We delight in your forgiveness through Jesus Christ. Make us reverent, joy-filled worshipers who see and savor your glory. Oh, Lord, work in our church. Guard us, protect us from any glory stealing that might occur. Convict us and turn us to you. We exist to make much of you, Lord. And we pray that you would use us this week as we go out from this place to do just that in every location we go. To view you and delight in you as holy. To glorify you as the God of all glory. It's in Jesus' name we can pray all these things. Amen.